School is getting ready to start, which is kind of interesting with where we are this morning. If you have your Bible with you, we are in Matthew chapter 5, and we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We are spending time walking through each beatitude, and with school starting tomorrow, uh, this morning's beatitude just fell perfectly, God's timing. Blessed are those who mourn, right? And so teachers, administrators, people who work at school, students, you all may be in that particular uh, section or segment in your mind about what is going to happen tomorrow. Um, you know, I I don't consider myself a crier. Um, I don't I don't know if, if we have people who consider themselves criers here this morning, but I I don't. Um, I don't generally cry in movies, um, TV shows, commercials, or anything like that. I did tear up in The Office. Uh, if you know The Office sitcom show, I did tear up a couple times in that show, um, but um, not with laughing, but just something happening in the show, and uh, you can ask me later. But um, I, I don't cry in movies. Matter of fact, I, I'm kind of ashamed to admit one movie that I cried in, and parents, you probably know this, adults, you know this movie, is Armageddon. You all remember the movie Armageddon, where the asteroid's coming to Earth, and Bruce Willis gets his band of merry men to go up into space and to uh, get rid of the asteroid. Now, here's the scene where I cried at, when Bruce Willis's character sacrificed himself for the crew, and he's talking to his daughter. That got me, I teared up. And part of my tears were of anger, um, because I was thinking the whole time, Bruce should not die. Let Ben die, right? Let Ben Affleck's character die. But let, let Bruce live. And Bruce is the man. Let him live. And so I remember tearing up in that moment as they are talking through the little TV screen, you know, Daddy, no, and all that. And uh, still gets me. But um, anyway, um, I did cry in our wedding. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. And it, it started right off the bat. The doors open. I saw my beautiful wife come down. And it was kind of comical. Now we can laugh at it because... <laughs> Her father was a speed walker in that moment. I've never seen someone get walked down the aisle so quickly because we had a nice soft song that was supposed to play and her twin brother's going to play it on guitar. And I think he got like 10 seconds in and he was already down at the altar. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay, well, we're doing this now. But I, was, I, t I teared up when I saw her. Uh, we, we had a video montage in our wedding and I had gathered myself by that time. But uh, my dad did the wedding and so when he turned around and tears are coming down his face, I mean, I'm, I'm, whoa, I'm getting close there. I started tearing up when I saw him crying and, I, and, and just becoming overwhelmed with emotion. And then my wife surprised me because she had been planning to sing a song in the middle of the wedding. Um, and I did not know about that. So as soon as I started to gather myself once again, she started singing. And I started crying again. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me today? <laughs> because... Um, because I'm not a crier. I don't normally cry. I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm a guy sometimes in that I show my emotions uh, maybe through uh, growling or just, you know, mm, type of thing. Um, and, and I don't cry. But who, who here is willing to admit that you're a crier? Yeah, you just, you know, you know certain things you just cannot watch um, or certain things you cannot be around or you'll just start crying. And um Today, we, we take on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn. And fortunately for us who may not consider ourselves criers, this is not what mourning is meaning. It doesn't mean that we have to be excessive criers or we have to be people who shed tears for certain things. Uh, Clarence Jordan says that tears aren't essential to mourning. 
but deep concern is. And so that's good news for us who would not consider ourselves a crier. If we weren't here last week, we began with the Sermon on the Mount, walking through the Beatitudes, of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And last week, we spent some time on the word blessed, so we understand what that is, because Jesus is giving out several different definitions of what the blessed what it is to be blessed by God. And so if you weren't here, you can check the podcast. Uh, you can go online to the church's website and you can find that And as we deal with it. But just to give a couple cliff notes, to be blessed in Scripture is not based upon your circumstances. It's not based upon anything that this world can give you. It's not dependent upon the things in the world. And so as we walk through the Beatitudes, it's going to be easily seen. I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What the word blessed means is all things shall be well. And so and it does not mean that as you go through a certain circumstance and go through a certain situation, things are going to feel well. It's not an emotion, but it's the reality of the truth that I am blessed even in this circumstance and in this situation. And so I know my God has this, and so all things will be well. It kind of goes with that song we just sang about the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful because all my life I have been blessed and all things shall be well, even if they don't feel well or good in this moment. And some can look at the Beatitudes as these stepping stones. Like, okay, if I get poor in spirit and I understand that and I'm living that, then I'm ready to move on to blessed are those who mourn. But that's not what Jesus is doing here at all. We can look at them as maybe steps in learning. That once I understand one, I can better understand the other. But it does not mean that once I grasp one and live one out, I'm able to live the next one out and so on. What the Beatitudes paint is this paradox, this thing that goes countercultural, not only in Jesus' day, but in our own day. And so we look at blessed are those who mourn. We can see how we may wrestle with this. You know, we are told in Scripture that one of the fruits of the Spirit is the fruit of joy. It's actually the number two, one, number two listed, that we are to have a fruit of joy coming out of our life. We're told in the book of Psalms that we are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving in our heart and to enter his gates with praise. But if we're to be blessed while we're mourning, which is to be a continual act, how do we do that? How do we have a spirit of joy? How do we enter God's presence with thanksgiving and with worshiping while at the same time being blessed mourners? And so for this reason, we need to understand what it is to be blessed mourners because it directly impacts how we come into the presence of God. It directly impacts how we worship God. And it directly impacts how you and I are going to experience the spirit of joy in our life. So here's our verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Prayer this morning as we understand this blessedness. Gerald Mann writes that happiness, happiness is experienced through grief. Because we never begin to fully, we never begin to live fully until we have experienced grief, grief and overcome it. Happiness happens to those who have known the depths of human grief for only they can fully know the heights of joy. And that sounds like, well, that doesn't make sense at all. But we, we understand it in this way. So this week is supposed to be extremely hot, right? I mean, that's what they're predicting. I mean, what are people going to complain about this week? The heat. Oh, it's so hot. I wish it would cool off a little bit. Okay, so 
we'll complain about the heat. And then here in a couple months, it's going to get extremely cold and it's going to snow and we're going to get ice. And what are people going to complain about? Oh, so cold. I wish we just did a little bit of heat. And then it's going to start raining, right? Well, then in that season, it's going to start raining. It's going to rain for days on end. And what are we going to complain about? Oh, I just wish we would have a dry day. And then it's going to get dry again. And what are we going to complain about? Oh, I wish we had some rain. And why do we do this? We go in this full circle of complaining about the weather because we have experienced the opposite. We've experienced what it's like to be hot. We experience what it's like to be cold. We experience what it's like to have rain and not have rain. And so when those things happen in abundance, we say, oh, I wish you would do the opposite. And the same goes when it comes to our spiritual joy and our worshiping is that we experience spiritual joy and happiness in life. And we experience true worship only when we've experienced the opposite because we know what that is. But the Bible is telling us, blessed are those who mourn. This is a continual act that we are to be continually mourning. And so we need to understand what are we supposed to mourn about? Because we can only experience the spirit of joy, have a heart of thanksgiving and a posture of worship when we understand what it is to be blessed while mourning. First thing we are to see, and there's four things this morning I want to point out, is we are to mourn over the result of sin. To mourn over the result of sin. One of the easiest scriptures in all of the Bible is found in the Gospel of John. And it's not John 3.16. Anybody know what it is? Not 3.17 either. <laughs> Jesus wept. It's in gospel. Someone said it. They're not going to take because they're saying it in a whisper, but they're close enough I can hear them. But Jesus wept. John 11.35. You need to memorize scripture. Jesus wept. Okay, that's the easiest verse in Scripture to memorize. It's two words. But what is the context? Because our Savior mourned. Our Savior wept. So what was he weeping over? Well, in John chapter 11, Jesus hears news that his friend Lazarus has just passed away. And so he begins making his way to Lazarus' hometown, which is of Bethany. And as he arrives close to the town, Lazarus' sister Mary runs out to Jesus, and she looks at him and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was in a place of mourning, a place of weeping, a place of trying to understand why she's in the situation that she's in, much like we do when we go through difficult times. She was mourning to the point that she was weeping. And the Bible says that the Jews had come with her were also weeping. Well, this leads Jesus to be moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then the very next verse is, Jesus wept. See, Jesus mourned because of the result of sin, which is death. And the toll that sin has on our hearts and minds, even as believers, is a reminder that sin is evident because we experience death. When we deal with the tragedy of death, we experience the result of sin, even in the life of a believer. Now, as a pastor, I've had to do numerous funerals. And some of them have been more difficult than others. So I, I've, I've weeped in some funerals. Some of the easiest funerals to do, even though there's mourning present, are those funerals that are over the life of a believer. Because you understand this verse that they shall be comforted. 
And there's no greater comfort as a pastor or those in attendance at a funeral to know that the individual who has just passed, if they belong to God, they're living in this promise from Revelation, neither shall there be mourning because they're in the presence of God. But as long as we live on this side of eternity, we are to be mourners. And one of the reasons we remain mourners is because there are individuals in our life currently, right now, today, that are going to pass away and are not in the presence of God. They do not belong to God. And so when they pass away, they're going to pass away from his presence forever, eternally. This is what sin does. This is Satan's tool is to pull us from the presence of God. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and read it later today. You'll see when Satan came into the garden, he called to question the word of God upon the first man and woman. And when they believed his word over God's, he pulled them from the, his presence, from God's presence. So much when God came into the garden and they heard the sound of him coming into the garden, what did the first man and woman do? After they disobeyed God and sinned, they hid. They were pulled from the presence of the God who loved them, who created them. Sorry, that if you were falling asleep, now you're awake. Um, see, we mourn because there are people in our life who are still hiding in their sin, which leads them to hide from God's presence. And this isn't the only time that Jesus Christ mourned in Scripture. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is in the town of Nain. And he comes across his funeral procession where there is a young man who has just died. And as he's watching his funeral procession, he, he noticed that not only this young man has died, but his mother, who is a widow, has lost her only child. And as he looks upon this woman, the Scriptures say, he had compassion on us. You see, death should make us mourners because no matter the circumstances, it is a reminder that sin is evident in this life. But the promise is comfort shall come. Comfort shall come. And sometimes that comfort is through the actions of a believer. It's through the actions of knowing why people die and what happens after death. It's pointing people to truth. Sometimes it's through just the shoulder of a believer or the ear of, an, of a believer, just the presence that we're able to bring comfort to a world that is still in sin. But not only do we mourn for the result of sin, we're to mourn over the cost of sin. Again, if we look to Jesus who mourned in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is coming into the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night he is going to be betrayed, the night he's going to be arrested, the night that is going to lead to his ultimate crucifixion and, praise God, his resurrection. But as he comes into the garden on his final night in that earthly body, he begins dividing the 11 disciples into two groups. 11 because Judas is now off doing his own thing. So he puts one group in this part of the garden, he calls Peter, James, and John to come a little bit deeper into the garden with him. And then he says, you all stay here. I'm going to go a little bit deeper. And they all have the same instruction, the same thing that Jesus is going to do deeper in the garden, and that is to pray. And he tells them, you are to pray in this spot, and you are to pray in this spot, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to pray in this spot. And as Jesus goes deeper in the garden, he prays, and the Bible says he prays in agony. It says he prays in such agony, his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. The word agony means Jesus was greatly distressed to the point of great sorrow. 
Now, this, this verse itself has come under scrutiny. And so if you want to look back several years, there's a book that came out called The Case for Christ. It's written by a guy named Lee Strobel. And in that book, he talks with a doctor about this particular verse and the accuracy of it. And the doctor says that this is a medical condition that's known as hematidrosis. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm not a doctor. But it's associated with a high degree of stress due to severe anxiety causing the release of chemicals that break down capillaries in the sweat glands. As a result, there's a small amount of bleeding in these glands and the sweat comes out tinged with blood. See, Jesus was mourning because he understood the cost of sin. He understood what he was going to have to do to make things right and make a way to be made right with God for us. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The Bible says that the wages of that sin or the cost of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We mourn because we realize we once were lost in sin. We once were separated from God. We once were doomed for hell and destruction. But then God stepped in. But we mourn because God had to step in because we couldn't save ourselves. And so we're blessed in that mourning because we understand the cost the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. There was no plan B. It was only Jesus. And whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So as believers, we mourn because we realize the cost and we know the cost was heavy, but it was paid in full. You know, we've been saved and completely forgiven, adopted as God's children and heirs to God's kingdom. We mourn because we are still desperate for God as we continually wrestle with the sinful nature that is in our hearts. It is in our mourning and desperation of God where we find comfort. Michael Catt writes, by our heartfelt worship overflowing from lives of desperation, we affirm the goodness of the Lord. When we get a clear glimpse of how gracious and patient our God has been with us, we will long to live holy lives and honor him. Only the desperate cry out to God. Only the self-satisfied cannot. The self-sufficient will not. To enter the presence of God, we must stoop. We've got to die to self and get desperate. Ronnie Floyd writes, to enter God's gateway to supernatural power, you and I must model spiritual brokenness, humility, and repentance. Before the people of God and the world in which we live, a heart is never at its best until it is broken by the things that break the heart of God. We mourn at the result, we mourn at the cost, but we also are to mourn over our sin. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come upon the first believers and they start speaking in languages of the people that have been gathered in Jerusalem. And as they start speaking in all these languages from all these other parts of the world, all the Jews start gathering because they want to know what this commotion means. What in the world is going on here? And it's at this moment, Peter, we love Peter, right? Peter steps out and delivers the first evangelical message after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And after he tells the crowds that have gathered, this is what this means because this is what Jesus did. They come to this understanding that they must respond in such a way. So they ask Peter, what shall we do? 
And Peter responds with a simple answer, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I know many of us, because I've, I've baptized a lot of us here, which is awesome. Many of us have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Many of us have been baptized and followed Jesus' example. Many of us have received the Holy Spirit, but perhaps there's some here this morning that have not. Perhaps there's some here this morning that need to understand repentance. What Peter tells this crowd to do. See, repentance comes by conviction, and repentance is the key to salvation. If you have not repented of your sins and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then here's what God's word says about you. You're lost. You're lost. You do not belong to God, and heaven is not guaranteed to you. And you cannot be good enough. You cannot earn your way to God. You cannot work your way to God. It is only through Jesus Christ. And so when we mourn over our sins, we aren't just mourning over those who are lost, but we're mourning over those that we know who have been saved and yet still wrestle our sin. That's all of us. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, we should be mourning over you as believers that you would come to know Jesus. But if you're here and you are a believer, you should mourn over your continual sin because you know that you continually wrestle with it. The Apostle Paul pointed this out. Paul was commissioned by God to write the majority of the New Testament. And in Romans chapter 7, he understood that there are things in his life he knows he shouldn't do. And there's things that he knows he should do, but he does the exact opposite because of the sinful nature is still inside of him. And in this mourning over this sin that we continue to battle with, the Bible promises that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In other words, God draws near to us when we mourn over our own sin. He doesn't leave us there. The Bible teaches, and we'll get to it here in a couple months probably, <laughs> that we are to pray daily for forgiveness. Not just for the things we want. We will pray daily to God for forgiveness. And forgiveness biblically only comes through repentance. To repent is to be seized with remorse to the point that it changes our mind and it changes our course of action. It's to regret the action we did. It's to regret the attitude that we have. It's to regret the thought that played out in our mind. We regret that and then we repent. And the Bible teaches us God's kindness toward us, his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness aren't things that we are to take for granted, but are instead they're tools that God uses. So God gives us grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Why? Because in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, because God wants to bring us to repentance, to mourn over our sin. And it's more than just being sorry, it's realizing that I have done something wrong in the presence of the God who loves me. Now, repentance contains sorrow, and it realizes the wrong, but then repentance also requires the change. So there's a difference between spiritual repentance and just having a grief or a worldly grief. The Bible says, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And repentance goes through stages much like worldly grief, but repentance is meant to lead us to release what is ailing us into the hands of the Father. Repentance begins by understanding there are consequences. 
to the actions I take when they're outside of God's word. There are consequences, and sometimes those consequences burden our soul, which can only be released into the hope of Christ and the message of the gospel. And from there, we get to this understanding, this place of worship, because we've now enjoyed the complete saving grace of God. I know repentance isn't enjoyable. Anybody here like feeling convicted? I don't, because I know I've done something wrong. But I get convicted so I can come to a place of of repentance because I look at my life and I place it side by side with Christ and I place it side by side with the word of God and I see how far I have fallen. And the Bible says when I do that honestly, I should have conviction in my heart and then I should move to repentance. And here's the good good news about conviction. Even though we don't like it, The Bible says we're only convicted as believers because we belong to God. He convicts his children when they're living outside of his word. He convicts us so we can repent. And when we repent, that's actually a gift that God gives us. Because we've come to this new understanding of his holiness and of his forgiveness and his love that is found in Jesus Christ. And then there's this profound mystery in Scripture. It says when we repent and mourn over our own sin, the Bible says we aren't left there. Instead, we find the favor of God. Get that. When we mourn over our sin, we repent of that sin because of conviction, we find the favor of God. The Bible says in Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you, I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave all of my iniquity. This is what Jesus pointed to, that we mourn over our sin and then we're blessed and we're promised comfort in the arms of a loving father. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14 says, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and then I will heal their land. The book of Ezekiel says, if a wicked person turns from all of his sins that he has committed and keeps my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed, none of them shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. See, mourning over our sin is the blessed life because it means we shall find comfort. The word comfort can mean encouragement, but it holds even a deeper significance. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word comforted from the Greek implies being called to one side. When Abby was about two or three years old, she had a major asthma attack. Jamie was, <laughs> say, I want to cry. Her. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jamie was with her folks. They were visiting for the weekend, so I was home and I was preaching. It happened on a Sunday. And so I have, like, what I have my phone on now is do not disturb and silence and all that. And, and I was preaching and as I was finally able to get to my phone, because sometimes I forget. So if you call me or text me right after Sunday and I don't respond, it's probably because I forgot to turn my phone back on. So don't get mad. You know, give me grace. <laughs> but I finished preaching. 
and I noticed I have a voicemail from Jamie, which she knew I was preaching at church, so that, that automatically went, red flag went up in the air. And so I listened to it, and <laughs> they had a rush. It's not the voicemail you want to get. <laughs> they had to rush Abby to the hospital because her face had gone pale, her lips were blue, and she was having trouble breathing. And so I did what I, what I did, and I, I drove as quickly as I could to the hospital, rushed to the emergency room, and Jamie was already there. Her folks were there with her, and as I come in through the doors, you know, I'm not like, not walking. <laughs> I'm going as fast as I can. This is pre-COVID, so, you know, there weren't, I, I probably would have ran through anything to try to stop me, but I hear from the back in the emergency room, and I know the voice, I just want my daddy, because mommy was already there. And so I ran to the back of the room, found her, and I, I grabbed her as much as I could without pulling out any of the tubes and held her. I pulled her to my side. That's the word comforted. We mourn over the sin that is hurting us, and what does God do? He pulls us to his side. He doesn't push us away. Jesus painted this picture in the parable of the prodigal son. The son goes and blows all of his inheritance on worldly things and then realizes as he's sitting in filth and eating filth, he could go home and plead for his father's mercy just to return and be his, his father's slave in the household. He would live better than what he's doing now. So he heads home. Before he can go home and tell his dad his, his, his plan, what he's got in store, what he'll do in order just to, to live around in the area, his father sees him. And if you know the story, his father runs to him and embraces him. He pulls his son to his side. He comforts him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we mourn over our sin, and when we mourn over our sin, what does God do? He doesn't leave us there. He pulls us to his side. See, repentance is the road of return and restoration into the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. And it has to begin here. Because for the fourth thing, I told you there was four, so now you know you can start. We're getting close, right? but it has to begin with mourning over our sin. Because if we don't begin mourning by our sin, then we're not going to be in the final part of being blessed. And that's mourning, we mourn over the world's sin. Here's the thing. As a believer, if we're not mourning over our sin, then it's going to be very difficult, near impossible to mourn over the world's sin. And this is how I know it, just personal experience. If I'm not mourning over the sin that's in my life that God has revealed to me, that he's convicted me of, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out into the world that does not know the word of God, does not know God, and I'm going to expect them to act better than what I'm even doing, and so I'm going to shake my head, and I'm going to point my finger, and I'm going to be judgmental. And Jesus says later in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? We cannot adequately mourn and be broken for the world until we are broken and mourn over our own sin. Otherwise, we're going to think we're self-righteous, just like the Pharisees that Jesus encountered. 
And so it begins by mourning over our sin. In the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, God's people began slipping further and further away from God. They had fallen into idolatry. They began worshiping false gods, just like America. If you don't think America has false gods and idols, then you have been blinded. We will sometimes choose something over God almost every time. And America loves our sports. We love our entertainers. We love our music. We love our movies. We love ourselves. We have our own gods. And they're pulling us further and further away from God, just like in 2 Kings chapter 22. When 2 Kings chapter 22, a man is born, or a baby's born. He's not a man. He wasn't born a man. That'd be weird. A baby's born by the name of Josiah. And Josiah becomes king. Now, our kids are in here this morning. Do we have any second or third graders in here? I see one hand. Would you be brave enough just to stand up for a second so we can just stand where you are? Maybe you stand on a chair so John over here in the corner can see you. You're going to be in second or third grade this year. Second, and you get to stand on a chair in church. How awesome. <laughs> okay, so this is our King Josiah. King Josiah becomes king at what we would consider second or third grade age. Okay? Thank you. You can sit down. You can stand on it later, but sit down right now. And he's keen over God's people that are left. He's keen over Judah. And at the age of 26, King Josiah is led by the Spirit of God. He's going to begin renovating the house of God. And since God's people and the world around him were not seeking after God or worshiping God, then the things of God had become neglected just as they do in our own life when we don't seek after God and we don't worship God. And so King Josiah was led by the Spirit of God to do something. 26 years old, to do something. And so he gives the order, we're going to get the money from the house of God and we're going to use that as a renovation project to rebuild God's temple. And so as the project begins in verse 8 of chapter 22, the high priest in the midst of this renovation project comes across the book of the law. It actually says he finds the book of the law. Now, if you find something, what's that mean you did first? You lost it. So he finds the book of the law, which means that he had to have lost the book of the law. This is the high priest. This is the one supposed to lead the worship of God and the sacrifices. He finds the book of the law because God's people were not living by God's word. And the world around it was the evidence of that. The condition of God's house, which was the temple, was the evidence of that. So immediately the high priest gives the book of the law to King Josiah's secretary, who the secretary reads it and then says, I got to take this to the king. Now, the book of the law would be what would be considered the Pentateuch or the Torah for the Jewish people. It would be the first five books of what we have in the Old Testament. In these five books, we're told that God created all things, that God established a covenant with his people, that he would be their God and they would be his people through the line of Abraham. We reveal that God, he brought his people out of slavery. He redeemed them from the Egyptians. He delivered their law, on his law on Mount Sinai, and that God's people were to live by this law so they might be separated from the people of this world. 
But God's people abandoned it. They lost it. And so they abandoned God. And what happens when God's people abandon God's word and abandon God? They begin to blend in. They begin to look like everybody else. There's nothing significant about them. There's nothing set apart about them. And so what happens is God, see if this sounds familiar, brings recession upon his people. He brings enemies upon his people. He brings disease upon his people. And he puts people in, his people in hardship. Sound familiar? So King Josiah gets this book, 26 years old. If you're over 26, stand on your chair. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do it. <laughs> 26 years old. When he reads God's law, it says he tore his clothes. Now, an act of tearing one's clothes is an act of mourning. So Josiah read God's word. He looked out into the world in which he lived, and he understood that the wrath of the Lord is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So when God's people came in this land, the very first thing God told Joshua, who's leading him into the land, is don't turn from this book. Keep it. Meditate it. Guard it in your life. Over the course of time, that's exact opposite of what God's people do. And Josiah understood the reason the world was the way it was was not because of some uncontrollable disease. It was not because there weren't resources available. It was not because there wasn't work. It was not because there wasn't money to be earned. The reason the world was the way it was is because the world and God's people had turned from God. It's that simple. They had turned from God and they turned from his word. And so God did not bring a blessing upon them. He brought a curse. And King Josiah looked out and he mourned because of the sin that was there. In 2 Kings 22, God was on the verge of destroying his people. On the verge. But because King Josiah mourned and repented over his sins and repented over the sins that were in his world, it led a movement of reform, which led to revival and led to God to relent. But it all began with King Josiah, one person, hearing God's word, understanding his own sin, and then understanding the world's sin and mourning over it, not casting judgment upon it. As God's people, we need to allow our heart to break for the things which break the heart of God. Then we'll find comfort. But who here has done the exact opposite? Oh, so-and-so is an idiot. How do they have that position? I'm not saying any names, so I don't know what your brain is going to and the name you're filling in. So, We need to mourn over them. Lift them up in prayer. And what is this comfort? The comfort is the presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit. 
He is our advocate and comforter. See, when the Holy Spirit comes over us, we'll find comfort. And when the Holy Spirit comes over this nation and this world, only then will we find comfort. It comes through revival. It comes through awakening. But it begins with us as God's people. We can't point the finger at the world and be like, I can't believe they do that. If we're not allowed to allowing ourselves to look at our own life and mourn over our own sin and the things we're doing outside of God's word. So here's a question for us. How often do we seek comfort in other things than the presence of God? How often do we seek to find encouragement from something other than God? and satisfaction. And then how often do we judge the world instead of mourning over it? I must be honest, up until this morning, I was watching the news, and Jamie can attest, she can confess of my ignorance, <laughs> just on this one issue right now, though. <laughs> watching news and what's going on in Afghanistan and think, oh, what did they think was going to happen? And just get mad. And this morning I get a text from faithful Sarah <laughs> through Messenger that came through the Franklin Graham, Billy Graham ministry, calling churches and God's people to mourn and pray over what's happening there. and to fall to our knees and lift up because we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have targets on their heads right now. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are deciding to stay because they know if they leave, then it would just be all darkness there. Knowing that if they get caught, they will be beheaded or executed in public. Instead of being angry, which I understand the anger's there, I need to mourn, I need to fall to my knees and pray because only God, God says only he can heal that land. And only he can heal this land. And so I can point my finger at whatever political official you don't like <laughs> or I don't like and say how smart or not smart they are. But God put them there for a reason. Instead of getting mad at their decisions, sometimes lack of decisions, to mourn over that and pray for them. Brothers and sisters Christ, our world is breaking. It's breaking. And I'll confess, I have not been mourning over it enough. So we're called to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Maybe you're here this morning and you felt the conviction in your heart when we started talking about Jesus Christ. You're like, I don't know if I have Jesus. I don't know if I'm saved. We know that whoever brought you here and people that are gathered here right now have been praying and mourning over you, even if they don't know you by name, because they've, you've been brought to this place to have that changed by accepting the greatest news there is out there. It's called the gospel. 
that God created you for a relationship with him. It is your sin that is separating you from God. But Jesus Christ paid the price of that sin so you could be restored back to that relationship that God created you for. So if you're here and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want heaven to be something I know is, is true for me. And I promise you there will not be mourners in this room if that happens. <laughs> There'll be celebration just as there is in heaven. But we need to mourn over our nation. We need to mourn over our leaders. We need to mourn over what's happening in the world. Because we know it's not a person. It's not an individual. It's the enemy. And he's, he's popping up and he's not worried. We're going to come in time of prayer. We're going to sing about the goodness of God. Prayer and invitation. We're going to sing about the goodness of God because God is good. That's why he brings us to this place of waking us up and convicting us because he's of his goodness and his grace. But if you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to come down. If you just need to come and pray, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. We're going to sing the song, and then we're going to do something real quick before we leave this morning. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace, and your kindness. Thank you for revealing that to us. Father, let us be a people who fall to our knees and humble ourselves and seek your face. Because your word promises then you will hear from us and you will heal this land. I pray for our president and our vice president. I pray for our elected officials, Lord. You have placed them in those positions. You have the wisdom to know why. And so, Father, we lift them up, but we lift them up to you and in your name that you would surround them and those people who have their ear with godly wisdom and with your children. And, Lord, that you would use Democrat, Republican, Tea Party, Independent, Libertarian, whatever, for your glory. Be with our brothers and sisters who are going through such difficult times that we wouldn't even be able to fathom what their day has been like today. Be with our nation as they move to get them out. Father, we ask in this time, if anyone doesn't know you, that their heart would be guided by your spirit to come down and let that be known, to confess you as Lord and Savior. Let this time be a time where your will and kingdom are done. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.